Thank you for tuning in to tonight's Eastern Maine Sports Podcast, where tonight we'll review the high school football season that just finished this past Saturday. Please follow Eastern Maine Sports on Facebook and Instagram at Eastern Maine Sports and Twitter at Eastern ME Sports. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Mark Callen. I got Bob Beatham and Andrew Hart with me tonight. We're going to wrap up this high school football season that ended on Saturday um, with three games in Portland and one in Orono. And uh, we're going to start, guys, with probably the – well, not probably, definitely the story of the day, and that was the Nokomis Warriors uh, winning 13-12 to over Freiburg. Um, what a game. Um, you guys were, were there live, and uh, I listened to some of it on the radio before my game up in, up in Orono, but um, – Tyler Pelletier, right, just uh, took it to the house and uh, gave uh, Nokomis a, a dramatic win, right, Bob? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, they're down 12-7 most of the ball game. Type of ball game that we really, you know, expected uh, from both of those teams. Again, really mirror images of each other. Uh, Tyler Pelletier gets a 68-yard punt return with about four minutes, a little over four minutes to go to pull it out. And uh, Nokomis had set up a wall on the right side and Got some real, you know, good blocks and just took it to the house and just a, you know, great football game and a day that really, you know, didn't feature a lot of um, intrigue. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, kind of, uh, Andrew, that game uh, kind of went as you expected. I know, um, kind of listened to it, as I said, up uh, up uh, in the Orno way before. You know, and it just seemed like Freiburg's defense, Nakomis wasn't going to get anything going against them. So they, they kind of needed a big play like that. And they, they got exactly that, didn't they? They, they definitely did. Um, Freiburg seemed to be the ones who kind of had that momentum going into the, going into the end of the first half. Um, I, I liked how it was such a great contrast contrast to the Class A game. Both team, the Class A game, both teams were taking chances. Their offense was more open. Their defense seemed um, to have no fear about stuffing the other team cold on their plays. Um, you know, it it was kind of exciting the whole lead up to Tyler's touchdown because if you look back uh, a minute prior. There was the pass by Andrew Haining. He found Chance Graves right across the middle. Chance comes down with the ball. And what happens is Oscar absolutely steals it right out of his hand. So it kind of had this, you know, there was an excitement in the air. There's definitely a lot of electricity. Oscar steals the ball. Every, like, I'm on the Nakoma sidelines, and you can just hear the, the dejection coming out of the crowd you can hear it in the sidelines just kind of that silent head slump go down their defense just prevented Freiburg from take from getting any sort of chance on that drive um the Raiders decide you know they're going to try to do a halfback toss pass misses uh Nathan Knapp the receiver on the play just by inches and that was kind of the whole setup to this punt that landed in Tyler Pelletier's hands. And that was that um, exciting punt return. I've, I've been, I remember being in the end zone when Maine Central Institute got that um, missed field goal that helped them beat Lisbon. I remember hearing the screaming and maybe it's because I was a little bit closer to, to the Nokomis sideline, but I can't recall hearing a crowd that excitedly loud when um tyler got that touchdown yeah what an incredible moment and the you know that that uh i was in the newport area today there signs out and that place is uh you know that people talking about it you go into a store people talking about it so it's uh it's definitely great stuff and um uh, such a new program still and um you know there's been there's been schools that have football for many years and have never won a state championship and that you know they've, they've already done that and Kudos to them, and it was kind of similar to uh, last year. Um, North, the only game the North won was Class C, and it was a, a team that entered the playoffs four and four, and is a number four seed, right? And in uh, kind of so kind of similar situation this year. Absolutely, and even more so. MCI uh, actually came in the number six seed last year, and ironically enough, the first playoff win they had was at Nicolas. So uh, certainly uh, turned around uh, this year. Yep. So good for them. Now, now we're going to move on to some of the other games, which definitely didn't have the excitement that that one had. That was the exciting one of the day. But let's start, uh, go to the first game of the day. Um, Thornton Academy 
kind of, you know, definitely not a huge surprise here, but they just never trailed all season and uh, just looked dominant, didn't they? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Andrew. Yeah, um, Portland seemed from the, the coin toss, for them deferring the, the toss to Thornton Academy, that seemed to be where it all went downhill for the Bulldogs. Um, Thornton Academy, just two plays into the game, they find Anthony Bracamontane down the sidelines, and he outruns everybody. And that was just a minute 30 to 38 into the game. Um, Portland kneels down trying to return a kick on their own one-yard line. They try to punt out of it, and Anthony Bracamontane again scores another touchdown. Um, ben Stasium fumbles on the uh, recover on the um, – well, he nearly fumbles on the next return, and then Grant Dow picked off um, Portland's Sam Knopp's pass, and he ended up finishing the play that he started – moments uh was it i think about 248 later oops what, did i lose what? you we must have lost no we must have lost uh andrew it sounds like okay okay yeah, that's uh yeah we'll uh but you can go on bob about that game though the uh um just just uh thought and just took the momentum right from the start of it didn't they yeah absolutely and then you know to finish the play too uh O'Farrell ran uh finished it off and you know just you know, pounded between the tackles, you know, up 21 nothing, And then, you know, from that point on, pretty much Portland, it was um, Zach Elowich running out of the um, out of the Wildcat formation, good part of the rest of the ball game. Uh, thing that uh, surprised me about that, too, was the number of penalties that Portland had in that ball game. I really thought, you know, Portland might hang around, you know, make it a ball game, but again, you know, the number of penalties against Portland, you know, really surprised me. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, lack of composure on a lot of uh, points of that ball game for Portland. Yeah, so it sounded like from what I'm hearing, uh, Andrew's back. Hi there, Andrew. But it so- sounds like a lot of that was uh, not even physical mistakes, just mental mistakes right from the start, huh? Just all game long, it seemed like mental mistakes. Now, I did notice that Portland's quarterback, um, Sam Knott, was eventually pulled at the end of the first quarter. I don't know the details, but it seemed like after he threw that interception, you didn't. Re- I don't recall seeing him behind the center. And at that point, they tried going with a, a wildcat formation with Zach Elowich taking the direct snaps. So just trying to trying to do something different there. That obviously didn't work, and Thornton Academy rolled to the state championship. Let's yeah, they, not yep. to interrupt, though, but they, they placed uh, Sam Nope in, the, uh, in the slot uh, spot, too. Again, they, as uh, Andrew mentioned, too, that Elowich ran out of the wildcats. Then Sam Nope really went into a uh, – he was on the field on offense, but they moved him over to a slot position. Okay. So that's uh, what they did there, and uh, congratulations to Thornton Academy. Let's move on to the uh, Class B game where, again, not a huge surprise. We talked about this last week, but um, Marshwood, uh, let's start with you this time, Bob. They, they just dominated every aspect of the game, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you look at the depth of Marshwood, too. Uh, just one of the top backs, Justin Bryant, goes out of the game and, you know, was in on a real, you know, hard-hitting tackle in the second quarter. You can just hear the pop pads popping up in the top row of the bleachers. Um, so he's out for the rest of the ball game and they didn't lose a beat. Uh, you know, Trevor Chase had a huge ball game. Uh, you know, their, their line was just dominant on both lines, this, you know, size the line of scrimmage and just a, a real, real dominant effort by an outstanding Marshwood team. What was your take on that game, Andrew? Um, Seeing Justin on the sidelines when he was getting um, ice wrapped around his ankles, you could see the disappointment in his face that he didn't want to miss that game. And, but I think he knew that his, he was the, the Hawks offense was in good hands once he was out. Um, you know, you look at how well this team played, they outgained Brunswick 486 yards to 155. And over half of those yards was by Brunswick's two guys of Mitch Leinart and Nate uh, Girard. But it just seemed like Brunswick had no answers whatsoever. They tried to run. There was nothing there. The few times they tried to pass, they couldn't find anything in the backfield. And it was just all Marshwood the entire game. Um, Tommy Springer 
a big game for him. I believe he finished with three touchdowns um, through the air. John Valentine was a guy who had great um, a great effort with him. Trevor Chase. It was just an all around Hawks dominance. Probably one of their one of their most dominating performances. And I'm even looking back at when they beat Skowhegan as well. Yeah, just uh, just impressive. That uh, we'll move on to the Class D game. I was I was out there since I was at that game and. Um, just Wells. <laughs> I mean, uh, Bridge and McKay just uh, Foxcroft offensively actually didn't do that bad, but they just could not stop Wells. Uh, um, you know, looked like a lot of missed tackles, and it was by the ponies, but uh, mainly that was a lot to do with Bridge. I mean, getting over 200 yards and just uh, uh, breaking every tackle every time, you know, Foxcroft looked like they were going to stop him. They had third and or second and long or whatever, third and long, then Bridge and McKay would just break a long one. Um, those two guys are just so impressive. Um, they're going to miss Bridge, but McKay will be the featured back next year and they'll be just fine. And, and um, just the offensive line is so big, so um, quick. You know, they're not just big, they're quick. And it was just on both sides of the ball that definitely they were the class of class D and it wasn't even close. And uh, uh, as for Foxcraft Academy, I, I, I know you posted on your page, Andrew, and I posted on mine, but um, if anybody gets a chance, watch that uh, short clip by uh, uh, Danny White, just what, what he had to say to his players after the game that just shows the, the class of that guy and uh, why Foxcraft is under, in good hands um, with him at the co- as coach. But uh, you guys can uh, talk about um, if you want, I know you guys didn't see it, but talk about that game if you want. I uh, didn't see the game, but I did see the clip by Coach White and, and definitely, uh, you know, gotten to know him a little bit and just a real class guy. And, uh, you know, certainly Foxcroft Academy, you know, football is in very good hands uh, with him as their head coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you saw you saw Wells uh, a little bit this year, Andrew, and you know a lot about them and just uh, no surprise what they did on Saturday night, huh? No surprise. And, and a lot of it does go back to that offensive line. Um, Tim Roach. After the game, the head coach of Wells was was quoted in the paper. He said, you know, his line, and he talked about Dylan Whitney, Nate Curtis, um, uh, Welch, what was it, um, Morgan Welch, uh, Thompson, Cam Barker, Matt Willette. The, that five basically helped clear the way for over um, 4,000 yards of Warriors offense. And when you can get that much of a sustained attack in high school football, the sky's the limit and what it is you want to achieve. And certainly, you know, three-time state champion, um, they're on a 28-game winning streak, and it all speaks volumes to what, you know, what the, what Tim's able to, what he's had to work with and what he's been able to put together. You mentioned, you know, Peyton McKay coming up through the ranks. Um, he, he's been, he's had a great, or had a great, you know, understudy learning from Tyler, and he's going to kind of continue that tradition of strong Wells running backs. And I'm sure everybody next year is already, you know, kind of rolling their eyes saying, oh, geez, another Wells running back that's going to be mowing us over. Yeah. And, um, so that's what, that's a wrap on the state championship games. Now we're going to get into, uh, some other stuff, um, you know, that, lead to the off season and be a lot of talk by the MPA and about, um, you know, fans and, and coaches uh, around, but we're going to start, we're going to let you take over on this one, uh, Andrew, um, eight man, eight man football. Uh, that's definitely been a talk and definitely will be a topic for the MPA uh, this year, won't it? It will. Um, eight man football in Maine kind of gets its, its recent start going back to around 2009, 2010 up in the Aroostook football league. Um, they've kind of been the, I won't say the impetus of the current movement, but they've shown that eight man football does work um, for most people who aren't familiar with it. It's more of a Midwestern sport. Um, although you are seeing it get a lot of traction, both into the mountains and even um, as far as, as far East as New York, they started it about four years ago. And I do believe they're up to about 30 or 40 teams after starting out from um, seven uh, it's a simple concept, very similar to 11 man with the exception of the reduction of three players. Usually it's two people off the line and one of your skilled position players on offense and on defense, it could be any number of things. It could be two linemen and a linebacker or a lineback, a lineman, a linebacker and a safety. Um, 
the rules for the most part are fairly sim similar. Um, there's only five men allowed on the line. Your exterior, your two exterior guys are your eligible wide receivers. And after that, you can do whatever you want with your, your other two players. You can have them in the backfield. You can go four wide. Um, you see it's the same yard. It's the same downs, same yards. Now, some states have variations on the field dimensions. Um, some states have 100 yards, um, standard uh, high school football dimension. Others shrink it down to the 80 yards. Um, some states have some differences on the point after try where some will do, um, if you go for the play, it's worth one point, whereas the kick is worth two. Other than that, it's, it's pretty much the same. And the benefit there, obviously, is with only eight people on, you don't need to have a very deep background or a very deep team to be able to succeed. If you've got 20 people for an eight-man football team, that gives you the luxury of being able to play a full eight people on both sides of the play and having a couple people to sit down so you can do um so you can have a practice whereas in 11 man it becomes more and more difficult once you kind of start dropping whoops we lose him again oh andrew i think we did we did huh Uh-oh. but but you know kind of kind of we'll let him you know continue once he gets back in here sure. but uh but uh Definitely. I mean, what do you think of eight-man football, Bob? Well, I definitely think it's going to happen. Uh, again, Andrew certainly has done a lot more research on it than I have, and you know, we'll certainly let him, you know, finish when he comes back on. But I, th- I definitely think it's going to happen. Uh, you know, question is going to be whether or not uh, the MPA steps in and the football committee steps in and makes you know schools meet a certain criteria before that they or in order for them to continue to play 11-man football. Uh, that's going to be the thing that could be, you know, a sticking point here as we go forward. And, you know, again, it's also going to determine, you know, possibly where other schools are placed classification-wise. Um, notice on the original proposal that it was going to be for schools with 350 or more students. Uh, when I saw the recent proposal in the Portland Press-Herald about how the different classifications would break out, basically broke it down to what's going to be double A, A, B, and C, and then a class, um, or excuse me, a double A, A, B, C, or possibly 11 man. So it looks like they might allow all of the current D schools to possibly play uh, eight man football. Uh, but again, we'll see, you know, what the actual proposal is like when it goes forward to the, uh, from the football committee, the general membership. Yeah, um, Andrew was on there for a second, and then we lost him again. Uh, there he is, Andrew. Andrew, we got you back. So do uh, you kind of want to continue uh, while, while you're here? I'm not sure what's happening, but while you're here, you want to continue kind of where you were? Yeah, sorry sorry about that. Trying to fix the connection on my end. So basically, eight-man football, similar to 11-man uh, exterior, two guys are eligible receivers. You do whatever you want with the other two. Field dimensions can be 100 yards. They can be 80 yards. Four downs, you go 10 yards. Not too much more different from that from the 11-man game. Now, what do you think is going to happen in this state with that? Do you think that it's going to happen next year or soon? Or what do you think? The tough part is there's a lot of resistance because, one, it's new. It's something that people aren't exposed to. It's not 11, man. It's not traditional. And that's common in every other state where it's had to be tried. New York started out with only seven teams. And then from there, as people saw that it worked, it took off. Same thing in Michigan. So the big trick is you're just going to have to get the teams down that would best benefit from it. Get the coaches, get the administrators, get them on board, get them to learn, hey, It's still football. It's still hard hitting. It's still running. It's still 48 minutes to try to get, you know, to get as many points on the board and then your other team. Now, now, do you know if the games are usually highest scoring or or is there more defense to that? Or or do you know uh, how that usually goes? It could be very high scoring because without three people on the line, um, the common thing that you hear when you read a lot about eight man defense is, 
oftentimes coaches feel that they're a man short. Um, because you're trying to stack up on the line, you often will go three on the line, which leaves only five people to put elsewhere. So you, you may only run two linebackers. You may try to run three linebackers, which leaves you with two um, defensive backs. So there is a greater opportunity for more offense. And with wider fields, it puts more of a premium on players being having to know how to make that open field hit because you don't have a whole lot of people that can back you up if you make a mistake. Right, right. So, I mean, obviously a guy, for example, like Bridge, could run all over, you know, be a big benefit to a talented talent like that or, you know, because wouldn't it be a – whether you've got a big fullback who can just mow everybody down, or if you've got some really fleet-footed receivers who can run all over the field and can't be caught, when you're playing a smaller, um, when you're at the smaller levels, you don't have nearly as many seniors. So the few seniors that can stack up on each other, if you can beat one or two of their best guys, suddenly the other six people they may not be able to keep up. Now, when it comes to scoring. The common um, perception is it does tend to be more scoring because there's more open field. However, like in the 11-man game, as we saw with uh, Bucksport and Matt Knockhook Academy, you can just as easily have high-scoring games with 11-man. In 8-man football, you can have just as low a scoring games because not every team may want to play an open offense. Um, Sometimes you'll see teams in eight-man football, they'll basically turn their two eligible receivers into tight ends, and they'll just play fullback and running back, and they'll just try to mow everybody down. So it's really it's, it's, it's a good way to suit the strengths of a team, whether it's passing or running, and it's not like it's a track meet like, say, you see in six-man football. I, I hope it happens personally. I, I think it would be good for quite a few programs. And um, Do you, either one of you guys have anything else to say about eight-man football? I also think when we go to eight-man football, too, and again, depending upon what the MPA decides to do, if they may mandate that certain schools play eight-man, it'll also make 11-man football better because you're not going to have teams that cannot compete at the 11-man level trying to play against those schools. So it'll, it'll make the 11, you know, I think it'll make the level of competition better uh, for those uh, Class D schools that are remaining, those solid programs like a Foxcroft Academy or Bucksport, uh, Matanaka, you know, those schools I think will, will make uh, make it better for. Yeah. And I couldn't agree anymore with that because you're no longer going to take these small schools that are really kind of struggling on numbers. You're not forcing a, you know, and these, and I'm just mentioning hopefully the teams that may try this. You know, I'm looking at Trape Academy. I'm looking at Saco Val, Sacopee Valley. I'm looking at Telstar. I'm looking at Booth Bay. I'm looking maybe up north. Maybe I'm looking at Washington Academy. Maybe I'm going to take a look at, say, Stearns. You know, you've got these schools that are struggling at 25 just to get 25 kids so suddenly it's going to give them some depth suddenly they don't have to worry about being overmatched against these bigger teams and my hope is is that teams put aside their their kind of their pride and do what's best for the program i'm not saying that we should look at making every team who's struggling with numbers drop because that's kind of the tough part of all this is are we going to allow a school like Greeley, which has roughly about 700 kids, the opportunity to play football because they can only put together 20 people on a side and say, Greeley, go ahead and stack up against Trape Academy or whomever it is on the other sideline. That's going to kind of be the, the part that the MPA has to get right. Yeah, and I think the MPA, too, has addressed that, too. At least the first proposal that I saw, too, that they want to make eight-man football for those small schools that you know want to keep football they have you know trying to get a tradition going but just because of the numbers they can't get kids you know kind of reading between the lines too that the mpa is kind of said by that proposal that if you you're a school of 650 kids 700 kids and you can't field more than 20 to 25 kids to play football then well that's a you problem that's not something that we're really looking to address with that and I would think so. However, when I look at what happened this year with Class E, 
where Class E was originally designed for the smallest of the small. And then I looked at what they brought in, you know, this year. They said, Freeport, you've got a bunch of kids who are sophomores and freshmen. Freshmen, why don't you absolutely go ahead and join Class E? And then when you look at how they played this year, it was Deergo and Freeport all over everybody else. So that's my one concern about you know, trying to do every, please everything for everybody. Sure. And with eight man football, you don't want to see that becoming a case of your Davids and Goliaths or your Davids and Goliaths all being put into the same, um, same organization for this and saying, you know, let's make it work because clearly it's not going to come out the, in the best possible way for the schools that truly need it, which is the smaller, the right. smaller schools. What, what they may also do too, that, that could be a possibility is, you know, let's say if you get a situation like, well, Camden Hills possibly who's uh, down on numbers a little bit, have a large enrollment, um, you know, possibly really is the, you know, they may allow them to play eight man football, but you're not eligible for the postseason. They, they may go ahead and do, you know, if something like that, and they, you know, there's been a precedent for that as well, you know, allowing teams before the developmental league came in, you know, the teams could drop down a class and not be playoff eligible. Right. Like when you saw Madomic Valley and Nokomis sure. and Herman being allowed into the little 10 conferences, you know, for their early years. Boy, they, they've come a long ways, huh? Oh, Nicom- absolutely. Nokomis and Herman. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, that, that was only a few years ago, too. Um, but yeah, I, I, so you guys all made good, both made good points. And, uh, I, you know, and as, as you said, Andrew, uh, hopefully kind of the, uh, pride can uh, step aside and, uh, do what's best for, for their program and, uh, let it, let it happen for some of these schools. You mentioned a few and definitely Stearns is, uh, one that could be in that mix is, uh, they've been struggling with numbers for a few years once they once dominated not too long ago. And, and, you know, now they're struggling with numbers. So hopefully those schools will accept this. If you go and read any story out of New York, uh, central New York over the past couple of years and reading about where eight-man football has started and how well it's gotten here, it, there's going to be some early growing pains. There's going to be some teams that are going to kind of have to be that guinea pig, so to speak, to start out. But I think, you know, I, I do genuinely believe in my heart, and I know the folks up in Aroostook County may back this up for the folks up in Presque Isle um, who've kind of been going up there with the Aroostook Huskies. They'll say, you know, that if you give it a shot, you can get kids to enjoy it. And the, 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 the whole point of this goal, this project, though, of course, is to try to keep the kids playing football, to give them something that is well suited to where they're at we don't want to be putting a school that can only put together 18 football kids out of a school that's what 200 as a uh, enrollment size and trying to say hey you can go compete with foxcroft academy or bucksport or these bigger schools and saying okay this is the fairest way to do this and and what you know one more thing i'd like to add to that too is that uh, you know, especially at the Little Ten Conference, they are really, uh, and again, not to pile on or anything, but they, they've been really in a world of hurt the last couple of years. And not only is it not good for the smaller schools that are struggling, you know, it's not good for Foxcroft Academy, where you basically had three competitive games all season and then trying to play against, you know, a Wells in a state championship game where you, you know, you played Bucksport, Madanawcook, and then really the rest of the league is, uh, you know, Dexter, you know, was decent. Washington Academy pulled off that upset in the playoffs. Uh, but the bottom half of that league, you know, everybody else is struggling with 20, 25 kids. And, it, you know, is it fair to a Foxtroft or a Bucksport to, and those teams did all they could do all season not to embarrass their opponent. But yet, you know, when you're winning 54 nothing, 54-6 every week against those teams, and then you get to a state championship game, are, are, you know, how well can you really prepare for that? Yeah, it's tough to, tough to get ready when you're, I mean, they're taking out their status in the third quarter every game. And, you know, and when they do play longer, you know, they, get, they hear it. But it's, t- it's tough, as you said. They had the two, two close games with Bucksport, one won the regional final and the, and the one in the regular season in the, in the game against Madden Dexter was close 
relatively close, but they pulled away from them in the end. But yeah, it's tough to prepare for the big the big postseason games when you're having games like that. So it's going to benefit them and other teams too. Um, we can we can jump right in and kind of go to reclassification, kind of kind of the same topic, but a little bit different. Um, now, do you guys have any ideas um, where you think maybe some teams might might shift? I think, you know, until they, you know, solve the, you know, eight-man football league and see, you know, which teams are going to play an eight-man, it's really hard to to say where other teams are going to land. So I, I think we kind of have to wait and see what's going to happen there because let's say if you have half of the little 10 conference play an eight-man, which, you know, very well could happen, then, you know, what happens with the, you know, four or five remaining schools in the LTC – or do you shift maybe some schools from the south up north or maybe some of the smaller Class C schools in the uh, Little Ten? Or do you even have enough schools left to warrant four classes plus an eight-man? So it, it's, you know, until that happens or until we know how many eight-man teams there are going to be, uh, you know, it's tough to really, you know, know where the numbers are going to lie as far as classification. Uh, one of the proposals I did see that was in the Portland Press-Herald is that as far as Class A is concerned, they're going to eliminate the North and South and go to one Class A division of 10 teams. Which is good, I think. You know, I mean, they, right? <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, where, where would Bangor go? I mean, are they going to be in B or are they going to? Well, Bangor would be in Class A. I mean, Bangor's got 11, almost 1,200 students. They're one of the largest schools. So, I mean, they're going to stay in Class A. Uh, so, I mean, nothing really is going to change. I. Uh, I mean, if you're Portland, do you really get that excited about being the Class A, with air quotes, North champion? Um, right. I mean, I think the other three classes make sense, uh, be, you know, to have North and South and to keep your regional rivalries and have regional playoffs. And there's certainly a significant amount of pride to winning your regional championship. So I know some people have argued recently, you know, in light of what happened on Saturday, that we really should, you know, eliminate uh, North and South in Class B. Well, again, just two years ago, the Northern Maine champion Brunswick won a state championship. So, again, things, you know, do run in cycles, too. Yeah. Andrew, do you got any uh, – I mean, obviously, we don't, none of us really know, but any thoughts on uh, reclassification? Because that will be happening uh, before next season. When I looked at the article that came out um, later – what was it? In October – one of the things that they had talked about was the idea of dropping four uh, Class A schools down to Class B, which I'm very curious what that does for the competitive balance in Class B, because one of the ideas was to drop a school like Wyndham, which is a thousand kids, and you're going to put them into a conference where you've got a school that has 700 kids, and I'm kind of grappling with how competitively balanced that's going to work out for other teams. I do believe that the best option for A and B is to get rid of that North and South designation and let them play, um, put them into a single classification and um, athletic conferences be damned. Um, people are just going to have to accept the fact that if the two best teams come out of the South or the two best teams come out of the North, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, we're seeing that um, with a team like Marshwood, where their most competitive game all season was against conference rival Kennebunk in the regional final, which for all intensive purposes probably should have been the Class B state championship. Right, those were the two best teams in B. I mean, you could argue that in any of these sports. Um, sometimes that happens, you know, where, you know, either in the South or North, the best two best teams are in the same. Um, but, it, but it does go in cycles, as Bob said, because Brunswick, you know, just a couple of years ago was winning, you know, the state championship, you know. So I, you know, I, I don't know if they should just, you know, change Class B. And Class A makes sense, um, yeah. mainly with how it's been. I mean, Portland's playing in the north and they're you know they, they shouldn't be but um i don't know i don't both make good points on that i'd keep in mind too uh, you know in baseball this year your three best teams were in the american league so again sometimes you get to that championship round too and you don't necessarily have you know the two best teams but you had you know teams that won the division or won the 
regional championships and you know again those things you know can be important as well so i don't i don't have a major problem with the current setup um you know especially in b c and d but uh and there is some precedence too in class a too back when we originally had four classes back in the eighties there were three divisions in class a and they just used that for scheduling and then uh, basically the three division winners and then there would be a wild card would play and it'd be a four team playoff. You'd have a semifinal round in your state championship game. They, um, and that's, you know, how it went there. Maybe it'll go something similar to that um, going forward. Um, but uh, let's uh, go on to um, let's, let's uh, uh, dynasty is good or bad for the game. And kind of talk about that a little bit. Cause obviously we've seen what, Thought Academy, Marshwood, um, Wells, uh, I guess we call them dy- the dynasties. I mean, Fo- even Foxcroft, Brun- Brunswick, you know, you know, kind of kind of doing doing their thing. Um, you know, Bob, do you, what do you think about this? Absolutely. I thought uh, Kelly Oaks had a great article in the uh, Lewiston Sun Journal uh, talking about this. But uh, I think rivalry, some, I mean, uh, excuse me, dynasties uh, can be great for sport. Uh Take women's basketball, for instance, uh, Connecticut women dominant and, you know, still a dominant program. But people really started talking about women's basketball when they got knocked off a couple of years ago by Mississippi State. And then Notre Dame's elevated their program. So I think sometimes you get, a you know, an outstanding program like a Marshwood or a Thornton Academy. It forces those other schools to to step up their game. And it, I think it sometimes can elevate uh, the level of football. Again, nobody ever likes to see a blowout in the state championship game. Um, or nobody likes to see, you know, non-competitive matchups. Uh, is it bad for the sport? No, not ne- not necessarily. I think as long as it's not every class. At least, at least we had that one really good good game, you know, in Acomas and Freiburg. I mean, if, if there was a class, if, I don't know, Levitt or MCI was in that game and they blew out whoever they were playing – Boy, that would have made for a, a bad day, which would have been two years in a row. Um, and so I, I think as long as it's not every class, um, what do you think, Andrew? I agree with Bob here. You know, dynasties, they're a good thing for sports because you should never punish a team's success. If a team can figure out a way to make it work, they should be allowed to roll with it. As long as it's within the realms of fair play, there is no reason why a team that is consecutive, continuously doing good should be um, given a reason to try to limit their ability. Um, when I look at dynasties, the first thing that comes to mind, and this kind of goes back to when I started covering football here in Maine, was I looked at Mountain Valley up in Rumford. Mountain Valley for uh, almost 15 years was the top of not just Western Class B, but you could also very well say all of Class B. Uh, New Kids on the Block from Cape Elizabeth came along, and they had probably some of the most, the biggest non-traditional rivalry you could ever find. They weren't like your neighboring cities who despise each other. You grew up hating the kid across the river, and that was your big rival. Like I look at Waterville and Winslow. When it came to Mountain Valley, they were the best. And when Cape Elizabeth finally was able to beat them for, for the very first time in a football game, you would have thought the Capers had just won a Super Bowl. As a matter of fact, it was documented in the movie The Rivals. And when Mountain Vet, when Jim Allard finally uh, stepped down from the Falcons, um, you know, it was kind of that, that swan song for the Mountain Valley team. And now you look at where they're at. So, with all dynasties, eventually they do come to an end. And the thing is, it elevates every team around it because those teams want to be just as good as them. And eventually, the team that can finally knock them off, they're the ones at the top of the pedestal. Now other teams want to knock them off. So it's always kind of, it forces other teams to have to put in more effort to, to try to get to that same yeah, place. Great points. Great points, guys. Yeah, one and, one uh, other thing I'd like to add too, Mark, too, I mean, dynasties are great as long as a team does not have an inherent advantage over the others that they can't compete. I don't think there's a situation like that right now in Maine high school football. Uh, you know, people want to talk about Thornton Academy. This is something that kind of gets stuck in my craw a little bit too, that I'd like to address. Uh, people talk about Thornton Academy. Well, it's not fair that a semi-private or private school 
competes against public schools. You could name Thornton Academy Sockle High School, and they would be just as dominant. The fact that they're a semi-private school has absolutely zero relevance whatsoever to their their success. Uh, reason that Thornton Academy is successful, they've got great head coach Kevin Kiesel. He's surrounded himself with great people. They got tons and tons and tons of kids playing in that youth program. They come up and they look, you know, they have kids to look up to at the high school level. Uh, so, you know, people that think that Thornton Academy is successful because they're a semi-private school and have all these advantages are just simply, you know, misinformed. Uh, you know, same thing when Chevrolet was winning back in the early 2010s. The reason Chevrolet was successful, you know, John Wolfgram's the head football coach, but John Wolfgram wasn't any more successful at Chevrolet than he was at South Portland than he was at Gardner, you know, public high schools. So, um, you know, just something I, you know, want to throw out there, too, that, uh, you know, people like to whine about. Uh, the other thing, too, talked about Thornton Academy, and I'll get off my soapbox here in just a minute. Uh, I keep keep on, keep on it. You, you hey, we're, we're on a roll here today. So yeah, uh, keep on it. You know, people got on um, you know social media and were complaining about how Thornton Academy you know ran the score up and you know should have taken a knee late. Uh, these seniors for Thornton Academy, this this is the last football game they're ever going to play together. Um, what happens at a state championship game? I could not you know care less about. Uh, you know, this is the last game for the seniors. It's their opportunity to shine if they want to play the full game. And, and again, Portland, you know, kept their ones in the whole football game as well. They're still playing hard. You know, Thornton Academy, I'm sure, on several occasions this year, took their starters out probably early third quarter. I mean, they it wasn't like they had many close games this year. This is their one last chance to play. So I'm sure Coach Kiesel said, you know, these kids have earned it and they're going to be on the field, you know, throughout the game. Yeah, um, you're, you're right. I was thinking that when I saw that too. Um, saw people complaining about that is, uh, you know, the, let them play. I mean, it's a state championship game and, and you know, it just uh, they, they they earned that right to go out there and play the, play the full game. You know, it, you can't punish them for being so good. Right, and it's not like they were playing the weak sisters before that. I mean, Portland High School is a good football team. They, they didn't, you know, show it on Saturday, but Portland is a good football team, and, you know, they had an outstanding season as well. And um, that, that's going to kind of lead us into the uh, next topic, um, which is kind of kind of what we've been talking about, but what, what does it take to create a successful program? And obviously, in all sports, not just football, but basketball, baseball, softball, field hockey, it starts at the feeder program. And, and you know, you mentioned um, Thornton Academy in March, where we've talked about a lot, obviously, Wells right now. Um, you know, that's probably what it is, right, Bob? You know, you start at the, feed, the, the youth programs and kind of um, – and winning – Kind of, as you said, gets these kids interested. What do you think winning the state championship is going to do for Nokomis? That's going, oh, to, that's going to build that program. Like, you know, maybe in a few years, they're going to be what MCI is. And, and you know, um, the program and contending every year. And I really believe that because and, and winning the state championship is a big, big part of that. But what do you think about that, Bob? Oh, no question. I, and I think, you know, especially these days, too, and especially in a sport like football, you know, basketball, if you get a couple stud horses, you're going to be pretty good right away. Uh, Football and really your head football coach really needs to be more than just it's not enough just to be a good football coach. You've got to be more kind of a CEO of your football program. You've got to you know, cultivate enthusiasm throughout your community and cultivate that support. You've got to surround yourself with great people uh, and you've got to be somebody that can really you know, sell the game of football uh, to the community and also the youth of the community. And uh, and that that's really what it, you know, is to be build a successful program. Uh, Travis Lasarjic and I talked a lot about this um, early in the season. I thought he made a real good point that a lot of communities like the idea of having a football program, but they don't necessarily make the commitment um, to having a football program. Big difference. Right. Um, Andrew, uh, we were just talking about uh, kind of what does it take to become a successful program? You know, a lot of it's based on, you know, building the youth program and, you know, getting kids interested in playing. And obviously uh, Thornton, Marshwood, Wells, they have that. And, you know, obviously winning, winning gets those young kids, you know, they see these kids in a state championship game that gives them want to play. As we were talking about Nokomis, that, that 
winning the state championship is probably going to be huge for that program. Even Freiburg, just getting to the state championship is probably going to be huge for that program going forward. But what do you think it takes to kind of build a successful program? I think from having a coach that is committed to the team, that understands the community and the kids that he's getting, and having a system that kids can adapt to and play well, um, and knowing what works in one community may not necessarily work in another community. Um, B.L. Lippert over at Coney, he plays a very open offense. I don't think his, his system may be well-suited, say, if he goes to a traditional running school like maybe Wells. Um, you need to have a coach that knows what he can do to get the most out of his kids, but also having a coach that's in it for the long haul because it's a commitment to the team to have a philosophy. It's a commitment to having the assistance that can make things that, that can make the systems work on both sides of the ball. It's being able to be familiar. So kids know what to expect year in and year out. Um, there was a great comment that was made by one of the Wells parent, or um, I'm sorry, one of the Marshwood parents who mentioned that, you know, they had a system in place that everybody knew the expectations for coming up time and time again with the school, with these programs that are struggling, you don't see that sort of consistency. And that's kind of what I feel hampers them. So I would definitely have to say for me, as much as a winning program, as much as kids that can buy into it, I think you got to start off first with your coaching and everything can go around, can um, build, can be built off of that. Yeah. Good points there by, by both of you. On um, the next uh, topic, we're kind of going to put into one here. Um, I head down up and coming teams for next year and also uh, emerging programs. So um, it could be some of the teams that we saw this weekend could be, you know, obviously Wells still going to be good. Marshall, Thought and they are going to be good. We can mention them, but also some maybe other programs that are on their way up. Um, I'm going to name one right here, and I, and I don't know if if it was a current the current class D was set up like it is now, which it won't be obviously. But I think Washington Academy would be one of the next year is going to be uh, would be one of the up and coming teams in that in that league. Um, I think they'd they'd be very good next year. But um, you guys obviously have more insight than than I do. Um, if you guys um, we can start with you, Bob. Kind of kind of. What do you think about that? Uh, teams coming up and uh, maybe teams that um, you expect to be playing in state championship Saturday next year? Well, about championship Saturday next year, but I think uh, I think Herman's program is going to be here to stay for quite some time. I know Kyle Gallant uh, coaches over there. Um, one other thing I'd like to say about Kyle, too, is that um, I think one thing that really helps having a football coach that's really visible within the school community, uh, again, Kyle doesn't teach in the building. He's a businessman. But anytime you go to a Herman basketball game, you always see Kyle there. Anytime you, you know, I saw him in a number of baseball games this summer where his, you know, players were, were playing baseball. So, you know, you've got to have somebody with a presence like that. And Kyle certainly integrated himself uh, well within the community. But I think Herman's a program uh, that's going to be here uh, for years to come. Uh, merging programs, and I, I like the job that Ryan Snell's down at Badomic Valley. They could be another, you know, Herman or Nicomas, and I think, uh, they've got an opportunity. Uh, they've really got a lot of excitement for football down in the Walderboro uh, area, and I think they're going to be a team to look out for. Uh, maybe not next year, but I think two years from now, uh, Bangor's uh, program is going to be back and could very well contend uh, for Northern Maine Championship in two years. Uh, very good freshman class this year and probably as good a leader as young people, somebody that I've gotten to know very well uh, through baseball, head baseball coach at Bangor High School, now coaching football. Um, Dave Morris will do a, a tremendous job with that Bangor program. Uh, they've got a lot of pieces back in place. He's surrounded himself with a lot of uh, people that bleed, you know, Bangor Crimson football. Uh, that program will be back on the map here in a couple of years and will really uh, – I think it's really going to take off under his leadership. Uh, as far as contenders next year, again, we kind of have to wait to see how the classification goes. Um, I think uh, Shepherds next year. Shepherds had a young team this year. Um, I thought Coach Vance uh, with his staff, Coach Wolfram, uh, did a tremendous job this year to win seven games with that group. I think they're going to be better next year, maybe take another step. 
Uh, although they probably, if they were going to stay with the north-south uh, format, they might be one of the favorites to come out of the north this, next year. Um, I think Winslow bounces back and possibly, you know, gets back to a gold ball game as well. Uh, they only had four seniors on the roster and return a um, bulk of their roster too. So I think, you know, Winslow's another team that's uh, going to be right in the mix next year. Yeah. And I would, uh, I would expect uh, MCI to be back in the mix. I know the, their semifinal loss, they, they were, they were losing uh, some kids there. Uh, and I, I just, I think Tom Bertrand, um, just has built a built an amazing program there. I know when I first started this, the website, they were losing games seventy six to nothing. And um, oh, no. you know, the, the, Ryan Reba, I remember him from Foxcroft Academy, got six interceptions in one game, and um, it was just something else going. You know, going there, he stuck with it. He built that program, and you know, and and I, I just think that that program is going to be be around no matter what class they they're in. They'll be uh, competitive for quite some time. Yeah, I think their enrollment right now, too, is they're going to be kind of on that. Um, and again, they may up the numbers a little bit, too, with that eight-man football going in, possibly, too. A lot of those smaller schools might go eight-man. So possibly, you know, a school like a Foxtrot, Foxport, MA, because uh, I can still believe that those schools will probably continue to play 11-man uh, football. They've got, you know, the numbers and infrastructure, I believe, to do that. So, uh, but they could possibly play like an MCI or maybe some of those smaller C schools might be in that lower class of uh, 11 man. Yeah. Um, Andrew, uh, maybe, maybe some schools down from, from down South that you think uh, maybe uh, emerging programs or, or up and coming teams favorites for next year. The two that I've had my eye on this season was Noble out of North Berwick. Um, when you look at 2017, they were dead last in Southern Class B. It happened to be the first year for head coach Kelly Smith, who's had a mountain of a job to try to convince kids to give football a try. Noble has a very, very strong wrestling program, but for some reason it didn't translate to football. Um, he came back, he was in his second year, and his team basically won four more games um, than what they had in 2017. If I remember right, they haven't had a season this successful in over 10 years. So He's really got kids down there buzzing about football for the first time in a long time. So I am curious what steps he can take going into 2019 um, with the way things are kind of shaping up uh, for this realignment. He could suddenly find himself a, a real strong contender down his way. The other team I'm looking at is Gorham. Uh, they're another team that's had a lot of down years They've struggled with consistency problems and they went four and four this year and they were neck and neck for kind of that mid-level place along with Greeley, along with Bedford. Um, both of them have very strong freshman uh, groups coming up as well. Noble had 26 kids um, listed on the MPA roster. Gorham had 22 of them. So they're a team that I'm keeping eye on. Um, Brunswick for... Um, kind of leading into who I like going into 2019 Brunswick, a, a big chunk of their core from this year were juniors. So I think them going into 2019, they've got to be looked at as one of the favorites for whatever classification there, uh, whatever conference they're in, whether it's a single table, whether it's uh, the North, you got to You're going to have to focus on them. Um, Thornton Academy is always going to be the top there. That goes without saying. Scarborough is going to kind of be in a bit of a rebuilding year with some of the newer faces coming up. Um, I like what I'm seeing out of Freiburg Academy, though, and I think they could be a surprising team. Another surprising one that's finally going to, that's going to get back into contention is Gardner. They're another team that's going to have a strong youth movement and they could be another contender kind of like Winslow is on the other side. Um, Lisbon and Wells are really developing a good rivalry on the Southern side of things down in class D. Um, I'm kind of curious what we will see out of Winthrop, Monmouth, and Halldale. Um, when they 
announced their merger, it was considered probably the best thing for Winthrop because they weren't too far away from being on the ropes in terms of where their program at was at numbers. And I'm curious if eight man could shift, signal a shift to that program. They've always been very strong, but to just kind of miss that hump and what eight man happen, what happens with eight man next year could be a telling factor in what becomes of the Ramblers program. Great, uh, great insight there, Andrew. Um, we're going to wrap this up with um, just so we can talk about uh, um, current state of high school football and kind of where do you see it in this state right now and maybe going forward just as a whole. And maybe this is a time to address too any anything maybe that you know people have complained about or or maybe maybe some complaints of real maybe 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 some are you know just they don't have all the information that that maybe they maybe they should or they need but uh um, bob we can start with you on this and uh, kind of where do you see the the state of high school football in maine oh so many different variables on that and uh, I think you look at some of the numbers, too, since about 2005 or so, our school population in the state of Maine has dropped by 11%, and our football population has dropped by about the same amount. Um, and there's so many different ways that you can look at this, too. Uh, back in the mid-'80s, there were 55 varsity football schools. Now there's 78. So the number of schools have grown. And I think, you know, we get back to what we talked about, uh, Travis and Sajic, you know, telling me in a conversation that a lot of schools like the idea of having a football team but not everybody is committed to sustaining and doing what it takes to build a successful program Um, but you know I think you look at the successful programs and you look at a Fulton Academy you look at a Scarborough you look at uh, you know Bonnie Eagle um, you look you know Herman's certainly growing Vendomic Valley uh, got in the playoffs this year their numbers are very good so I think you get a lot of programs that are really, really healthy. And there's a lot of communities, too, that football um, isn't as big a priority. And certainly, you know, that shows as well. Um, but I think that overall, I think, you know, there, you know, there's certainly some, you know, room for concern. You know, when you've got a number of programs that are not able to field JV teams, when you've got, um, you know, teams that are, you know, languishing in the 20s. I, I think there's maybe, for lack of uh, better to more, um, I think there's more weaker programs now than maybe 20, 25 years ago. But I think the, the top programs now would be top programs in any era, and maybe then some. Uh, you know, Marshwood's certainly outstanding, Thornton Academy, uh, you know, a number of those, you know, those, certainly that Wells team is, is outstanding. So, um, I don't know, it's hard to really... It's really kind of hard to put your finger on it and say, well, yeah, the, the sky is falling. But at the same time, there's a lot of you know, really good things happening in, in Maine high school football as well. Andrew, what's your take on that? Um, you know, 2016, I thought, was a, a dark year for high school football. Um, oh, whoops. We're, we're there. Okay. I thought I lost everybody there. Okay. No, no, no. You're still yet. <laughs> no, no. That would have just been me. Um I thought 2016 for Maine high school football was a dark year. Um, We saw three schools that ended up having to uh, suspend their programs in Booth Bay, Camden Hills, and Telstar. I believe that was also the year where um, Trape, what was it? Or maybe it was the year prior where Trape had to forfeit uh, their last five games of their season. Um, Along came Class E, and everybody kind of felt happy about where football was going. We had finally righted the ship, and we had fixed everything. And now we're not seeing the small schools anymore struggling. Now we're seeing the bigger schools. You know, we're seeing Deering, who had genuine concerns about their numbers. We had Portland, which is not looking good going into next year after graduate the senior class. Greeley, which had under 20 when they're playing football. Yarmouth is expressing concerns about where their football's at. You heard the stories up in Northern Maine about Orono, which played a game with only, uh, was it 14 kids came in? Um, Trape Academy, 14 kids coming in. So I think right now we're at a point in, in the... Oops, we lost them. But um, we'll let him continue if he gets back with us. Sure. But uh, um, 
another uh you know another situation was the south portland situation and um I, do you do you know what do you know about that situation bob and kind of how why they had to forfeit a uh, uh playoff game I really don't know the answer. I mean, there was some injury situations, some other things had gone on too. And I know that, you know, Coach Stinson had gotten done after that. They're uh, certainly to look for the new football coach next year. But it's, you know, you've heard all kinds of different rumors, but nothing that's been substantiated. Yeah. Well, as I said, if Andrew gets back in before we finish, we'll let him finish. But what do you think of a, wouldn't it be fun, like, Maybe this weekend too. I know. I know basketball started today, and uh, the winter sports have started today. But wouldn't it be fun if they could work in a open tournament where Wells could could play against? I mean, they, they might not do as well as they would have say last year. But don't you think that'd be interesting just to see how they would do against Marshwood? Or I think this know? year would definitely it definitely would be interesting. Uh, again, most years. Again, the reason we have different classes too is that at some point your enrollment is going to become a factor. Um, I, th- I mean, I think Marsh would be would in uh, Thornton Academy would be a heck of a game. Um, I think Thornton may be a little bit deeper than Marshwood just because at some point, too, if you've got a great program, great coaching, uh, eventually your enrollment, you know, is going to play a factor. Uh, so, again, that's why we have, you know, different classes uh, based on, you know, those enrollment numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Definitely right there. And I, I, I do think it'd be interesting just to see how like Wells would match up with the bigger schools and how Marshwood and Thornton would, you know, do against each other. Well, one last point I'd like to make about that too, is that, uh, you know, people have been crying about, you know, well, the MPA needs to do something to create competitive balance and da, 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 da. But it's never been the MPA's role, nor should it be the MPA's role to create parity. What the MPA tries to do is to create numbers, you know, enrollment wise. So you're playing on a fairly even playing field. What you do with your program and how you build it and how successful you are with it, that's totally up to each community. Uh, it should not be the MPA's role, and ha- it hasn't been. I think it's been their position that uh, they're going to try to create an um, even playing field so everybody has an opportunity to play for a championship. Uh, you know, you take Marshwood, for instance. Uh, they've got a great head coach, great theater system, a lot of community support. They're probably more years than not not going to have an opportunity to play for a championship playing up against the Thornton Academy or a Scarborough or, or a Bonnie Eagle because, again, those teams have equally good infrastructure in the program. They just have more numbers. And so, to, you know, so that's, again, that's why we have classification based on enrollment. Right. And is you know, another thing I've seen on social media is. Well, shouldn't be in class D. Well, Wells well, enrollment numbers says they're in class D. Is no, it's not their, it's not their fault that they built the, you know, that they're so such a successful program. They shouldn't be punished for, you know, again that, and it does go in cycles. I mean, right now they're on an amazing run, and I think they will continue ne- next year. And probably uh, Tim Roach has them, you know, so they'll probably be competitive for quite a while. But you know, they 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 shouldn't have to adjust just because they're good for three years. So you're going to move them up to class B where they probably wouldn't win. Marshwood would probably still win. And, you know, to it's basically just pun- punishing them for, you know, being so good and do, earning this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see who that, you know, next contender is going to be. I, I just don't see one for next year, but again, lot's going to depend on how, you know, classification takes place. And again, that eight man football is definitely going to be a big factor as far as where the other uh, schools are placed. Yeah. And, um, I guess lastly, I just want to say uh, congratulations to you yet again. What's this yep. fifth, fifth time in seven years? And uh, you uh, clinched it with a Thornton okay. win. Oh, you still there? Maybe having some technical issues tonight. Oh, you still go. there? I'm still there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I, I was just congratulating you on winning your fifth uh, uh, East Main uh, football, high school football expert title in seven years. And, um, geez, you talk about dynasties. I think we got <laughs> one right here, huh? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting segue here. We're talking about dynasties, and then no, but it's. Uh, I guess I've been lucky for five out of seven years, or something. But uh, well, you do know your stuff. I mean, obviously, there's always 
some luck involved in anything like that, but it's not it's not luck the reason you've won five out of seven years. You do you do know your stuff. You've uh, you know the game. You know the teams, and uh, you know better than most. And obviously, when five five out of seven years is a that's quite a quite a thing. And uh, um, you know you'll be going for your sixth ne- next year. You'll yeah. be going for a three peat next year, right? Yeah, be for, hopefully my first uh, ever three peat. I haven't won three in a row yet, so yeah, we yeah, shall. We shall well in the other two years that I didn't win it though, I came in second, lost by one game on the last game of the year. So um Yeah, the one you uh didn't win in uh was it fifteen? Uh, did Chris win or something? Yeah, Chris won on the I picked Lisbon and I was looking pretty good at halftime. He picked MCI and that was the game that um <laughs> they scored on the yeah, two yeah, it was two thousand sixteen he won it. Uh, yeah, yeah two thousand sixteen MCI on that. Um touchdown off the field goal so yeah and and uh that that year you actually had more correct than you did this year yeah i i think this was the worst year that i had uh predicting games but there were a lot of a lot of tough games to pick this year too we went more you know statewide than we we've normally gone uh the other year it was um the quarterback for coney leading that 99 yard drive against kennebunk if kennebunk had won i'd I would have won it that year too. So yeah, Nick Coit won that year. Yeah, uh, Nick Coit won it that year. He's now down in Providence, Rhode Island. Somewhere. Yeah, he actually joined us a few weeks ago for a uh, uh, when the uh, Patriots were playing the Packers. He he joined oh. us uh, that that morning for a Neat. kind of preview of that game because he was covering it. So uh, that that was good. But uh, um, yeah, so uh, well anyway, it doesn't look like Andrew's going to be back. But um, Bob, we will will. Uh, probably two weeks from today right around that either that sunday or monday whatever works works uh, on our schedules and uh, we'll uh, kind of preview the high school uh, basketball season i'm hoping to get a bunch of people from around uh, at least at least the northern maine you know to kind of join us for that and uh, um, hopefully throughout the season we can uh, you know i know with the schedules it might not be uh, monday every every week because right. uh, you know it might have to be sunday night sometimes yeah probably sunday nights during the season because we'll probably be covering some games on monday nights yeah i know the first one the 10th the first monday during the regular season i'm at actually i think you're joining yeah that's right i believe we're at uh, we're gonna be out to central high school this year we don't um baps doesn't play i don't think we play any monday games this year so there you go well well, good maybe you can join the hou team that's gonna be fun this year yeah we're gonna gonna, uh you're gonna help out we got uh myself we got uh Zach White helping, uh, Chris Lesnar. Uh, I don't want to miss anybody, but Jeff Jeff Hulk. Uh, I know Sean Sean Stacko is going to join uh, for a couple. Uh, that guy's a busy guy, but he's going to join for a couple. Yeah. You're busy with you're busy with John Baps, but yeah. uh, going to get you in there some. And uh, you know we have a we have a good uh, good team there, and uh, going to do a lot of games for uh, Fred and the crew at HOU. Great, looking forward to it. And yeah, I'll be in the um, actually be at the Cross Center on Friday and Saturday for total of 17 games over two days so it'll be a little post thanksgiving uh yeah so i know i don't know what teams are there i know dexter is right the girls uh, dexter will be there on saturday dexter girls and boys will be playing uh the girls are going to play i forget who they play the first game i think it might it's either Herman or brewer yeah uh, boys are going to play john babb starting at nine o'clock and then the girls are going to play and i i forget who they play in the second game but, uh, I, actually, I think they play. They're going to play. Uh, boys are playing Callus, and I, I don't know if the girls might be playing Callus as well. Yeah, I think they play Herman. I was told. And, yeah, uh, might be. Yeah, and one of them, and maybe Callus, the other one. But anyway, um, well, we're going to jump right into that. You'll be right in the middle of that this weekend. I'm actually I'm waiting until next week to get previews. Probably going to go out to some, some schools next week, and uh, we'll take next week off from this. And uh, again, two weeks, we'll start it back up. And uh, you know, again, and, and then after that, we'll probably go to Sundays. Maybe that Monday we could do it pregame. We could do it, you know, you know, do it, do something out, out there. But yeah, it might way, be a little tough doing pregame out there. Yeah, yeah we yeah. actually have that full time job though. That we can't, we can't we can't be getting out there too too early. So no, 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 definitely, definitely not. But anyway, I want to thank you for joining me this uh, this season, Bob. Uh, thank Andrew too. Also, he's not here with us now, but I will say thank you to him also. And uh, you guys brought. Terrific insight, um, you know, you from the north and, and all, all around the state, really. And uh, Andrew getting his insight from southern Maine and from, you know, everything, everything he does with his, his website, too. Um, I want, so I want to thank, thank you guys both. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. I definitely uh, put some miles on the car this fall. So getting to a lot of different high school football games across the state of Maine. So. Well, excellent, and uh, you know, again, congratulations with you. You you winning it, winning again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And I want to thank everybody for listening. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody.
is uh, back there. He's going to probably take the direct snap again. He does. Low snap. Richard has it. Goes to his left. And he gets in. 